Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast. We want to start out by saying thank you to our sponsors, Big Farig Coolers. They offer coolers, cattle coolers that hold medication and vaccinations, tumblers, growlers, and dry boxes. The coolest thing about Big Frig is you can customize it, customize it all with whatever you want. Uh, check them out at bigfrig.com, and uh, if you have any questions, email at info at bigfrig. Our next one is Glory Visuals. They specialize in wedding and commercial films, so they do videography, and it's incredible. Y'all should go check them out on social media. You also can check them out on glorivisuals.com. Next up, Other Grass Outfitters. They specialize in dry field and Canada goose hunts. Uh, they run from November through February, and they've done an awesome video of Dive Bomb Industry, so you check it out. If you want to book a hunt, uh, call Crager at 308-637-7777, or check the other guys' outfitters on Facebook and Instagram. Next up is Faithful Images. Ooh. This is our personal photography business. Um, you can check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Faithful Images Nebraska, or our website, our website, faithfulimages.org. Next up, uh, Redbeard's Custom Calls. He runs the Timber Rattler or the Cut Down Duck Call and Crossing Guard Goose Call. Awesome calls, awesome quality. This guy's no, he knows what he's doing. So give uh, Andrew a call at 712-898-6989 and uh, let him know we sent you because he'll give you 10% off. Yeah, buddy. All right, next one is Chaku Peru, owned by Angelo. He specializes in big game and waterfowl hunts in the U.S., Mexico, South America, Europe, and Australia. So you can check him out at chakupru.com or contact him at 469-999-4043. Last one up and a new sponsor to the podcast, Whitetail Taxidermy in Louisville, Nebraska. Owned by Jody Schultz. Uh, you might know him as Pappy from our YouTube. Awesome guy, and he's an award-winning taxidermist. So give him a call at... 402-630-0031. With that being said, those are our BRH podcast sponsors. We appreciate each and every one of them, and let's jump into the episode. Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast. Uh, today we've got a special one for you. Today it's going to be Hunter and then Jeremy. How you doing, Jeremy? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited about this one. And today we've got uh, Travis from Deeks Waterfowl. How are you doing, Travis? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, heck yeah, man. I've been excited about this one because I'm a huge fan of like the Pacific Northwest and I've like that is definitely a place I want to go at some point, and so getting to talk to you about it gets me pretty excited. Oh man, we don't we don't have any birds here. You don't want to come here. That's what I say about Nebraska. <laughs> I say they're they're all in Louisiana, and apparently that that doesn't make people very happy. Still gonna bring this up. Louisiana, <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> well, oh yeah. Well, I keep, that's the way it works. I I just made it as a joke on my my story, and it's really kind of. I've given it legs, not that I should, but I'm going to continue to just because I like driving people nuts. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
But uh, just uh, I'm just curious. What uh, what side of Oregon are you on? I'm on Northeast Oregon. Northeast so Oregon. The 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 normal side of the state. We, we don't uh, <laughs> we don't associate with those fellows over there on the west side. Oh, I can imagine. What I mean. I'm just curious, and I don't want to get too far into it, but how bad is the like the political polarization in the state? It's it's uh, idealistically opposite. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it, you're you're either very red or you're very blue. I think for the most part. I mean, I'm just I'm being cynical, I guess. But yeah. you know, um, it, the valley is what we call it. You know, the Portland Salem area. Um, they're they're making all the laws for the rest of the state. And, uh, the folks that live, you know, for the most part, and I can't say that for everybody, but for the most part, uh, the guys in the East, East central, you know, they, they, the guys at the Valley call it cowboy country. So the guys in cowboy country, uh, we, we don't really align with their ideals the best. Yeah. I, and we don't give in very well either. I mean, I can only imagine cause I, it's, it's a little bit that way in Nebraska compared to like the East side to the like West side. Cause you got a lot of like just small towns, Western Nebraska. And I came from Western Nebraska, so I can kind of understand, but it seems like it's, it's almost to an extreme out there. And maybe it, that's just cause of the, you know, you just kind of get the long distance view from media side and like social media, but it seems like it's pretty, pretty bad. But, um, no, that's, that's, that's really, it's pretty accurate. Uh, it's, it's very, very, and I mean, there's, there's people from both sides of the spectrum everywhere in the state, but I mean, as far as, um, as far as large populations, yeah, it's very, it's, that's accurate. Oh, gotcha. Well, I guess, I guess I catch up a little bit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, were you around at all for the, all the crazy riots and all that stuff? Uh, no, but like I said, that was all on the opposite side of the state. Um, so over here we, we, you know, Eastern Oregon, is full of people that will, they just like to do them. They want to live their lives and not have interference from everybody else, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, those are my um, kind of people right there. We kind of just want to live our lives and be left alone. So, you're not going to see a whole bunch of us go down there and get involved. Um, but, I mean, on the same spectrum, you're, you're not going to see them come and try and push that on us either. I think they're a little bit more um, afraid to, to take up that activity where we live, you know? Gotcha. And I think so, this is probably a good lead in a f- probably a few weeks ago. We talked about, um, they were talking about trying to get a petition on your guys's ballot for banning hunting and trapping. I mean, what's, what's your thoughts or how prevalent is that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's pandering, you know, that, and, and unfortunately and disgustingly, so every politician does it. So the, the representative or whoever it was that, that uh, sponsored that bill is out of his mind. First of all, I mean, I think they I read it and don't quote me on it because I, it's, I threw it away. As soon as I read it, I was like, this is ridiculous, you know, but hunt, hunting and killing animals at all for food, you know, and it's, it's not even feasible, but someone sponsored the bill because they're pandering to voters and that's all they're doing, you know? Um, and that's in my opinion, and I'm full of them. That's what's wrong with our government to begin with is, pander for votes i mean they they get these policies or these these um these bills put in front of them uh or they come up with these bills to appease uh a voting platform and knowing 
knowing dang well that it's wrong, you know, knowing that this, this has no, this has no platform. This has no weight behind it. I mean, and when you, when you talk about right or wrong, this bill is just simply wrong, but they're going to push it anyway because, because they're pandering. And that, that disgusts me about our government, you know, and that happens on both sides. Um, some people just aren't willing to admit that, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, from my point of view, when we were doing that podcast and talking about things with it was, it wasn't just hunting and trapping, but it was also like the husbandry of animals. So farming in general, it's like, man, do you really not know like the unintended, unintended consequences that are going to come out of this if you do this and how you're going to be even to like in any way regulate it? It's just so, I, it was so lofty that it made absolutely zero sense. Well, I, I, you know, people are, are, are very, very misinformed, you know, or, or they get an idea in their head and, or, or someone feeds them an idea and they just, they just run with it. Um, the idea of, of no hunting and no, no killing of farm animals is going to create an environment where all animals going to live peacefully is, is insane. Um, eventually animals will be overpopulated, you know, um, and they'll take, just like they do now, if, if we have some sort of overpopulation problem, they hire somebody to like government trapper or someone to, to come kill cormorants on the, on the, on the coastal lines. You know what I mean? Something's going to happen and, and an animal is going to lose its life somewhere along the line. So let's just make it a positive, you know? Completely agree with you, Travis. Actually, one of the points that I really was trying to carry home when we did that podcast, because that's pretty much what I always say to people when they are like, hunting is wrong. And the first point I always bring is that hunting is, one, it's the most natural form of taking game meat and it's organic. You want to go that direction. But without hunting, there's no great re- regulations on these species. And like people don't understand the issues that will come when there's no natural take and like right. for instance in nebraska i'm a big deer hunter um we deal with blue tongue and cwd across the state actually at this point and if we don't manage our herds the deer get out of control you get a lot of accidents and then eventually they just get disease ridden and you know even starve which is crazy when you think we're a corn state because we got corn everywhere but I just, some people just don't ever see that point. I don't, I don't understand how or why they don't see it either. It's crazy to me. Right. No, I, I think misinformation, um, as well as, you know, people are very opinionated and that's good. Um, and we should have two sides. You know what I mean? I think, I think I draw, I when we talk about politics. I've got a, a close coworker that I'm, I'm really good friends with that, uh, idealistically thinks very different from me. Um, he's more on the progressive side and, and of course I'm more on the conservative side, but I think there's a healthy balance somewhere in the middle. You know, if you were to draw, if you were to draw a bar and put a line through it, you're going you're gonna to have that, you know, conservatives on one side and progressives on the other. And if you, if you take, if you group the, let's just say 25% from each side, I think there's a lot of healthy ideas and discourse that go on there that, that keeps us rolling in a good way. Um, and keeps healthy change going, but um, unfortunately, I think there's a lot on the on the other end of the spectrum that are they're really out of control. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they scream the loudest, they kick the loudest, and so they're listened to. And I, 
my perspective is like a two year old that kicks, screams, and cries. You don't give them their way, you know. So absolutely. But, uh, but now that we've got way off on tangents, like we naturally do <laughs> in this podcast, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if oh, you'll start... get me going if you start with politics. <laughs> oh, I know, I'm the same way. But my wife, I her mom's like that. She's pretty progressive, and she always has to stop me because I her. And, I, I won't get into that. That that's way too much of a topic. <laughs> but uh, back on a little more of a hunting uh, topic. Uh, have run us through how Deeks Waterfowl got started, your idea behind it, and uh, you know w- the expanse of what you do now. Um. So I mean, I still work a full time job, and at the time I started, it, I worked a full time job, but. Uh, I just kind of wanted something, something for my kids, so that they could they could en- enjoy a work atmosphere where they're not working for somebody else. Um, and I don't know if that ever come to light, but so I started Deeks Waterfowl just so that my kids could do something that they're passionate about. My boys are very passionate about hunting um, in the outdoors; they they love it. I mean, they play. You know, of course, they they play video games and stuff like that too, but. It, you give them the opportunity to go hunting or play a video game. They'll pick hunting every time, you know, they'll play, they'll pick football over, over video games. But, um, so my idea was to find something that, I mean, I'm very passionate about and they're very passionate about and build a, a, a small brand, just something that they could take the, take the reins over someday, you know, and, and uh, do what they want to do with it. And they don't have to, it's up to them. Um, and if they want to, it's theirs, you know? So the goal is to keep that rolling and, and slowly, I mean, I've still got one just as a freshman in high school and one's a, one's a middle school still. So I've got several years to make this thing come to light, you know? So and we're just doing it slowly and, and steadily and building a nice clientele. And I get to be very picky about it. You know, um, if I don't like you, when you, when you come hunt with me, then I don't have you back. You know, it's not about money for me. It's about, there's, there's a certain part of this sport I want to preserve, you know? So if you're going to book a hunt with me and all you care about is killing piles and piles of birds, but you don't care about the conservation of the sport and you don't care about, um, the safety that goes into it. You don't care about the image that we're portraying on the rest of the community. I'm just not going to have you back. You know, it's simple as that. So that's that's just kind of the way we lead into it. That's a night, like, I would say, you know, just, I, I listen to the Big Honker podcast quite a bit, and that's, I would say that's the downside of being full-time. Sometimes you can't necessarily be as choosy just because you are trying to make a living, and if you don't take some of those clients or struggle, you know, to book a lot of hunts, and you, in those scenarios, end up with guys like that, but that is the plus side of being able to work full-time and guide on the side, because you, you can be very picky, and I think that's admirable as well, so... Um, what kind of, uh, guided hunts do you do? Um, we do, I do duck hunts, uh, goose hunts and snow goose hunts. That's... And then now we'll do some pheasants, uh, you know, uplands here and there. Gotcha. Is it natural pheasants or is it something like you guys, uh, release them? Uh, preserved type pheasants. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I actually, I've taken some, so I, my full-time job, I take people hunting once in a while and. I think actually on Wednesday before I go off to my elk hunt, I gotta. I'm taking some clients out. I'm pretty excited about that. 
But what uh, what kind of uh, duck hunts? Is it more like field or water stuff? Uh, duck hunts are water mostly. Yeah, I mean, we we'll shoot ducks um, over snow goose spread more often than not. Um, but when we when we book uh, a duck hunt, it's usually public land uh, duck hunts over water. So you guys, uh, you can guide on public water then out there? Yep. Uh, you, you know, you have to be licensed to do so, but yep. Over in public land, you have to be In Oregon, in order to guide, the law is you have to either own the land or have full control of the land to guide without a license. So meaning, meaning you have to own the land or you have to have, um, um, what's that come up? A lease. Yes, thank you. <laughs> a written lease. You know, you can't just have written permission and say I own this land or I control this land. You have to have a lease or some sort of contract that says you're in control of the land in order to guide it without a license. In order to hunt, to, order to guide any public land, you have to have a hunt license or a guide license. That's kind of, I I don't know. It, it's it's almost like an odd thing to us because our public land down here especially early season gets haunted so hard and they're i mean it, it would just be i mean it would be really a disaster for people to try to guide on i don't even know why you would want to it'd be it'd be rough well i think from my understanding because my uncles tried to pressure me a little bit into trying to do some small time guiding <laughs> and actually i i believe you're not allowed to guide on public land here not that i know of um other than which it wouldn't pertain to waterfowl but like the national forest stuff up in the northwest corner that's about the only thing you could guide on because it's national forest land yeah down in nebraska mm-hmm. yeah yeah nope. every state's different i know idaho is the same way idaho is public land only stuff like that how many i mean what is the size or how much of the state is public land or is huntable oh I, you're asking me numbers i wouldn't even have a clue on I mean, yeah. do, is it something you guys have a lot out there to be able to hunt, like acres-wise? Public land? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have lots of public land to hunt. Yes. That's that's something, I mean, anybody listening, there's no ducks in Oregon, just making that clear, but <laughs> no I, I have heard that a lot about Oregon and Washington is there, like, there is a large amount of public land to be able to hunt out there. There is. Um, you know, it's like any other state, you're, you're going to have your public land problems, but... Um, we have lots of WMAs that, that people get to enjoy. And that's where a lot of, I think that's probably, and I might, I might be wrong here, but I think that's where the majority of waterfowlers, um, think they're, think they're feeding to, you know, and they, they just kind of, they kind of hang out around those places. Um, I don't enjoy them, but, um, it's each their own, you know what I mean? So, yeah. When, when it comes to those WMAs, I just ran a question I thought about, um, are they like, are we talking WMAs that are going to be like a couple thousand acres or you guys have a lot of small ones here and there and then like a big one every once in a while? Both. Both? We have both. Yeah, yeah. see, in Nebraska, I'd say 90% of our marshes are less than 400 acres and it gets really crazy. I mean, 400 acres, when you think about it, especially when we have water problems like this year, it gets it gets competitive out there. Let's just say that, I guess you could say. <laughs> Well, uh, most of our WMAs here are, well, anyone that I know of, I shouldn't say most of, but any of the ones that I know of um, or that are around me that I've ever tried to participate in are, are draw-type hunts. 
So you show up in line an hour and a half before shooting light, and uh, either you kind of like California. I've never been there, and I'll never go there. But sure, (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Oh, I can. Well, I can't. I'll never go there, but um, I'll never go there on a WMA type hunt. So makes sense. And apparently, it's supposed to get real bad this year with the lack of water they've got. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So you're probably going to see a few more of those California hunters up your direction, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, you know, as, as long as they, like I said, as long as they're conservationists and as long as they look at the game the same way I do, um, I'm okay with that. You know, of course, I don't like the crowding and stuff like that, but I honestly, I, I don't get too crowded by, by folks from out of state, you know, and if I do, it's because I'm bringing them usually, you know. That's so. I think in our last podcast, we kind of kept alluding to the fact. So last last pos- podcast or a couple podcasts ago, we're talking about camping at WMAs and like teal season because it's one of the first seasons to open up in the area or at least in like most of the central flyaway. Man, people are there like days in advance to start camping and it it's become worse and worse of an issue. If anybody wants to listen, go back to listen. We'll get it's more in depth, but at the same time, like, you just know that there's certain guys you get there and you can sit there and have a conversation with and pick out spots and everybody's happy as a clam, you know? And then there's right. there's those those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody deals with them. It, it is what it is, but I was just curious. I mean, what, uh, what type of, uh, I mean, WMAs, is it like big water? Is it mostly marshes? Is it, I mean, what's the habitat like up there? So, um, there's a little bit of both. I mean, there's, there's, they're usually the ones that are here are off the main river system. So you have big water, you know, big river system, uh, lines on it. And then you also have marshes within that, that WMA and it, you know, they have fields as well, circles and pivots that you can hunt on. So it's, it's just a little bit of everything. That's that. That's something that I've always up in that area. I've always would like to hunt. What uh, I mean, how big is your river systems? Huge. Uh, the Columbia River is. I don't even know how. I mean, it stretches from from the northeast part of the state up into Washington. You know, all the way down to to the coastline. You know, yeah, that so was, that was pretty much going to be my next question. I bet you hunt along the Columbia, I bet a, a bunch. Yeah, yeah. That's the Columbia is my home. That's you know, I always have that river will always have a special place in my heart. You know, if I ever stop hunting it for some bit, for some reason or whatever, that place will always be special to me. Yeah. That's a, that's one of the frustrating facts from Nebraska that will never change, but I wish it would. There's a main river system that flows through Nebraska. And we, I think we, if I remember right, we have one of the most expansive river systems in the United States. But the hard part is, is that most of our river system is privatized so unless you hunt the you own land on the river or have permission for the access i mean you can only go so far in it and i actually i'm i'm the same with you i grew up hunting the platte river with my grandpa but even now it's i would it it's it's tough it's definitely tough to try to get access and i have hunted the platte down this way but it is there's a it's, guy every half mile at least. It, it, the east side of the state is way different than the west side. Yeah. 
so it is. We, we do have kind of that culture shock as well, unfortunately. But so uh, kind of stemming off into something else. So how did you? Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Deeks Waterfowl has an Instagram. Phenomenal stuff. You want to make sure you follow his stuff because it's it's phenomenal. I'm a photographer. And I think it's phenomenal. So it's phenomenal. <laughs> but uh, how'd you get started in photography? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've always liked, I mean, since I started the brand, I mean, before they started the brand, I always liked cat- capturing, you know, cool pictures when we're out there hunting and, and whatnot. Um, I've always had my cell phone out, snapping shots. And I just kind of like, as I watch other brands, on Instagram, once I, once I actually started paying attention to like Instagram and whatnot, um, watch other brands and some of the content, I was like, man, that is so cool. Uh, I hope someday I can do that, you know? Um, and, and now it's, it's for me, it's, I would rather take pictures and work my dog than shoot a gun any day of the week. You know, so the problem is sometimes it's very hard to take pictures and work your dog and do both well you know so um but it's i don't know i I became fascinated with it and then um i started snapping shots and i got extremely frustrated with the quality of work i was producing for myself and you know i i just started reach i reached out to a couple of photographers uh joel bo jones uh, joel bo jones helped me with a lot of questions i had um you know i watched a ton of youtube videos and i just i just kind of dove in and, uh, it's been fun. It's been a journey for sure. Um, the, the content creation side of it is, has taken me to places and has built relationships with great people and, and great companies, you know? So, um, I enjoy it a lot. Um, it is work sometimes, but, um, there's, there's nothing cooler than accidentally catching a memory that'll last a lifetime, you know? Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing is, and I've talked about that in the in past podcasts, is there was a hunt that I took with my grandpa on his dog, and that was the last I had hunt I had had with him and his dog, and unfortunately his dog passed. But, I mean, he was, I mean, some of those photos, uh, some of those photos he ended up putting, making into pictures, and that dog was really special to him because he he got cancer, and that dog was right there all the time with him. So there was a special bond that obviously is... We all have special bonds with this dog, but him walking him through that as a dog is it created something that will forever be there in his heart. And so I think that's the biggest thing for me is like you never know, you never know what you're going to get, and so therefore you never know what's going to last a, a lifetime either. Right, right. I mean that's that's one of the coolest things about Facebook. I mean, don't get me wrong. If we go political again. You know, anyway, I'm going to get off on tangent. So <laughs> that is that is one of the awesome things that Facebook does that I really, really enjoy is it brings up your memories that you posted years past on that date, you know. And during hunting season where I posted the most photos and the most pictures, most videos, I get to see those, you know, and I get to see my kids at such a young age when they first got into or my, my dog's first retrieve or my dog's first band, you know, and it it brings back those memories. And as I get older, you know, it chokes me up a little easier every time, but, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy that part of the sport, you know? And and I think, I honestly think that that part is lost, um, 
for a lot of people. I, I think the the idea of what hunting is to them is is uh, what's wrong. I'm not going to say it's wrong because it's the reality, but I just I just think it's it's not focused very well. You know what I mean? I think hunting is about um, being being with your friends and your family and being out there in the wilderness and turning that switch of life, you know, that, that, that hustle and bustle off and just sitting out there and enjoying it, taking it all in, building friendships and relationships with people um, and, you know, just really, really embracing the process and uh, being able to, to capture that in a, in a picture and then later on seeing it come back as a memory, uh, man, that that's something that's really special to me. It's uh, it's I don't know if the hard part is is when people ask me about that with photography and stuff. It's it's almost hard to explain in a lot of ways unless you do it or have been a part of it because it's it's hard to it's hard to articulate how much it means to you when you go back and say when you took that picture because when you hit that shutter you and you go back and you see it for a year from now you automatically feel what the weather was like what it smelled like what it felt like for those people to be around you and it, it almost like transfers you back in time and it's hard right. to, it's hard to tell people about that unless they've experienced it well, it's hard to tell me because there's no words, right? Um, that's my opinion. I, I think, I think people, people right now in today's world, you know, and, and for for as long as people have been around, they've written stories. You know, cavemen did it with with paintings on walls or rocks on walls, and we do it now. And, and we as humans buy books that people have written, and we read them, and we we go to that store because the there's words to describe what happened, you know, and articulate every, every aspect of that, that day or that situation, you know, um, and for a photographer, you're trying to do all of, all of the things that you can do with the, with the human language, we're trying to do with a picture, you know, and sometimes that's very hard to do. So people don't always get it, but the cool thing about it is, is if you look at the other side of it, it leaves it, open to interpretation for the, for the people that really enjoy it. Like they look at the pictures that you take or I take or others take and they go, they, they tell, they tell their own story in their own mind of what that is. You know what I mean? They see it and they say they're trying to piece it together themselves. And I, and I think that's, that's also something that's, that's pretty cool that photography does is that, uh, that a story can't, you know? Well, I think it, uh, I think it speaks a lot, especially for, I I mean, I've followed you, I think since you started it, and to being able to see how your whole course on your photography, and uh, I, I just got to say, like, I can tell you from day one till now, I think I followed you from most of the beginning, and you've come a long way, and it's it's absolutely awesome what you've been able to accomplish and what you've been able to, to figure out. I will say... I know Joel, he's a good dude, and uh, man, if anybody's out there, Joel Jones is a good dude to follow. If you got any questions, awesome dude to ask because he's helped me out too, and he great dude in the waterfowl industry. So um, I was going to ask you, what uh, 
What do you use for a camera? I use a, I have two Nikon D850s that, I, that I'm running at all times. Gotcha. And I, I just, I used to have one and switching lenses all the time during the hunt is really a pain. So I like that. I'm equipped with two. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, I think that's a trouble that I've, I've struggled with this last year is I haven't necessarily focused as much on photography. I've focused more on doing video and it's been, it's been a, it's hard because you want to try to video all the stuff that's going on. And then you also want to take photography. And for me, like I have a dog that I really enjoy running. So like I, sometimes I have to almost like slow myself down and like focus on certain things so I can enjoy certain aspects rather than trying to run around in circles and do so many things. Oh, absolutely. I've, I told myself and I keep telling myself that I need to figure out the video side of things as well. I mean, some of these great content creators, um, are, are doing photography and video work and all their own editing. I mean, these guys are nuts. I don't, I don't know how they find the time. Um, so I keep telling myself I need to do it and I just, I never do. So I have a, a buddy of mine named, uh, Dakota Peterson. He's got an Instagram. If you guys want to follow him, he also runs, uh, he calls it Drake Outdoors. It's J-A-R-A-K-E Outdoors. Okay. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I thought I recognized that name. If you really, if you really want to get him, you call it J-Rake. Mm-hmm. He drives him insane. I follow them. They, <laughs> they just got back from a really great elk hunt, didn't they? Yep, they yeah. did. They did. Dakota got skunked. He, he missed uh, a nice bull. So, also, if you guys feel like the need to follow his content, um, don't be afraid to talk about that. It'll really get him going. But yeah, he does. Dakota does any video, any video work that you see from from us or on our YouTube page that comes from him. And he's the problem with it is he doesn't know how good he is. You know, he's just he really hasn't dabbled in like trying to find work out of it or anything like that. He just does it because he likes it. But the kid is amazing. His, is. his thought process is right on track. His editing's good. Um, you know, when when he when he creates a little video and sends it to me, I'm like, dude. I don't know what you're doing not pursuing this, but I was going to say that he's humble. He's humble. He thinks he's horrible at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's almost a shame because I can remember like I've been following him for a while. I didn't actually realize that there was a connection there. Um, but yeah, I remember when I stumbled across his page, I was like, man, this seems like a really professional group. Like, yeah, he he knows what he's he's doing. He really does produce like some, crazy cool stuff it's actually kind of a shame that he doesn't try and do anything with it well you know i think i think his problem is he lives over there on the west side of the state over in portland so it all makes uh, sense you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does he has a podcast too that he started he just hasn't you know again he hasn't really much done with anything with it so um he's, he's a busy guy you know he just got married he has he just had a kid he works so i get it you know yeah. Um, it's just, it is, it's a shame cause he's, he's very talented. And so, I, I mean, I, I'm proud of him whenever he comes up with something new or, or creates something new. And I just, I really want the whole world to see it. So they, they understand how good he is, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, all right. Diving into talking about Drake and your YouTube and stuff. I watched your YouTube video and I, I'm, I'm just going to admit it on the podcast. And now there's two things. I was I was a little jealous 
because you posted like one video and like ended up with like umpteen amount of subscribers and I'm like, okay, great. I make content and like this guy just jumps out. But after I watched the video, I was like, this is incredible. No wonder he's getting so many subscribers. So tell us about the story about how this hunt happened. Cause it was, it was incredible. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, and again, that's all Dakota's work coming to light. You know what I mean? Uh, I asked Dakota to run the YouTube page and that was the first thing he did. I, the goal last year, I'm going to call him out. The goal last year was 10 videos and that didn't happen because his schedule and my schedule and everything else. So I'm calling him out this year to see if we can <laughs> at least, you know, get something out of it. But again, that's, that's his, his work coming to light. So in that video, you see Andrew Barcel. Andrew is, Andrew's my right hand guy. You know, Andrew, um, trains my dogs with me. Um, I say with me, Andrew does most of the work. Um, I'm not quite as versed in dog training as Andrew is. I just, I know the basics and that's about it. Andrew's good. Um, Andrew also, um, is a huge waterfowl hunter and he's very good at what he does. So Andrew and I started hunting, hunting together a lot. And, um, we stay in contact daily, whether it's just back and forth ridiculing or, um, or talking about plans for the future or for tomorrow, you know? Um, but, uh, we, we've been chasing the snow geese and they were here pretty thick last year early on. Uh, and that was the middle of November hunt. I think it, I think I said 14th on the video or something like that. I can't remember, but, um, Andrew found a field full of geese and he said, Hey man, we're on for tomorrow. Um, this, this, this field is, it's a big feed, you know? And, I knew Dakota, Dakota was already coming to film no matter what, whether it was a river hunt or a snow goose hunt or whatever. So it was perfect, you know? Um, so we just lined it out and you know, like I talked about in the video and I don't want to ruin it for anybody there. Like you can't, you can't dream up a more perfect scenario. You just can't, you know? Um, and, and that's what, that's what happens in the video. And it, you see it all unfold before your eyes. Those birds just gave it up. And they did it all day long. You know, they, they just kept coming. So it was good. It was fun. It was chaotic. Um, you know, here it's, it's six birds, six white birds apiece. So you're rotating people in, you know, yeah. getting more people out and, and letting them shoot as well. Um, so uh, it's great. We had a lot of fun. Uh, Dakota, Dakota, that was Dakota's first snow goose hunt. And Brandon, you see him in the video as well. That was his first snow goose hunt. And, and I, I said it in the video and then, you know, uh, I said it in the interview part of the video and Dakota said it in the video himself at two different occasions, you know, that they were like little schoolgirls, you know, to watch their faces and, and everybody else in the blind too that, that never shot a snow goose or never been a part of something like that to watch the reaction on their faces when, when that unfolds, that's priceless, man. That's, that's what it's all about, you know? So the, the limits are just a, just a bonus to see people's faces light up when all that's coming down on them. That that's, that's hunting. That's, that's waterfowling right there. Oh, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you, so your limits, your limits six up there. Most of your birds come from Russia, correct? The, the white birds. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, gotcha. but it, now that's changed this year and I don't know if it's for the, for the better or for worse, um, the limit is now 20 a day. Hmm. So 
Is that just there's pros and there's cons to that? So is we'll that, see what happens. Is that just because like uh, like a population explosion because of a good hatch, or is it because you're starting to get some birds from like the central flyway up in like the north no, part of it? No, it's total population control. It's it's total population control. They're just they're having good hatches year over year, you know, and and these white birds just don't stop. So, um, and most farmers, most farmers don't like them. You know, they tear up farmers' fields. So, I, I think it's all about conservation and and knocking those numbers down to a healthy number. So, what uh, I was going to ask you, um, gosh, it just slipped my mind now. Sorry, I thought my my dogs were running upstairs. Um, I was just uh, curious, how big of a spread do you guys put out for snow geese? Uh, depends. Uh, anywhere between, well, we're going to do some full body, or more full body action this year um, just to mix it up. But uh, if we're going to go full bodies, we're talking two to 300, probably close to a 300 range. If we're throwing socks and everything else at them, you're, you're looking at, you know, a thousand thirteen hundred decoys. I would, uh, I would gladly trade you because uh, <laughs> we put out three thousand this year and it wasn't enough. It was, it's got Central Flyway is kind of the point where like there are a lot of people chasing them, which they get a lot of pressure. But the hard part and what we're experiencing in the Central Flyways are just so many old birds that it's, it's gotten almost incredibly hard to try to kill them unless they have a good hatch and there's juvies around. It is, it's a headache. Sure. I believe it. I believe it. I, I know a lot of guys that, that hunt over there and guide over there and, and they've been on the struggle bus for the last couple of years with, with birds just not giving it up, you know? And I think, I think every area is different. So I can't, I can't speak to why they're struggling or how they're struggling. You know, I know, you know, you think you know why the birds aren't giving it up on the on the day that you're there. You know, oh, oh or the hide's not good enough, or the the spread's not out there just right, or they're not liking the socks, or they're not liking the silos, or you know, or the full bodies are just moving too much. There's there's always you always have an opinion, you know, but um, all you can do is is reassess and, and plan for the plan a little different for the next day. You know, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna keep getting what you're getting. So change the game. Yeah, the spot we're hunting is out of a pit. I mean, there's a there's a reserve called DeSoto that's not too far away. The hard part that we run into is there's another club that puts out a lot of full bodies and yeah, floods a cornfield and stuff like a couple miles, I think, to the south of us. So they usually get into them first, and then they kind of come our way. That's the biggest struggle we've got. But I think we're going to do what waterfowl hunters know best. And we're just going to buy more decoys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we you can never have too many. Yeah. I think we're going to end up buying another thousand. So we'll have 4,000 out there and we are changing some things around. Um, there's, we're making a few adjustments. I like two years ago, we set up on this like field and I think we killed like two. <laughs> and then the year after that, we set up, and I don't know. I don't think we really killed any. And I think this year we killed like somewhere between 30 and 40. So it, by percentage, we did a lot better this year. But uh, we definitely saw a lot. And I'm hoping to do better next year. And I think we will. So we'll see how things work that's out. For, 
that's the that's the problem with snow goose hunting. It's it's high risk, high reward, or high risk and no reward. So when you put out that many decoys and you can't get them to to commit, that hurts the ego quite a bit, you know. Oh yeah. Whereas if I'm going to go out in the river and throw, and I still throw a lot there too. If, I, if I'm going to go on the river and throw ten to twenty dozen decoys, it's no big deal. You know what I mean? I could pick those up and be done with it if if the birds just don't want to play that day. Um, but to, to put in all that work to, to hunt snow geese and not have them give it up, that, that stings, you know, that's it, not exciting. That's not fun. So our, our opening day, um, I shouldn't say it wasn't an opening day. It was a couple weeks after opening day. Something that we, we struggle with up here is that, and I mean, it goes back and forth, but, it's always about where that freeze line is, especially when they're coming up north on the spring. I mean, that first rush of birds is usually all the like old adults, so we're not usually as worried about that. But we like to we like to hunt them, you know. And so we put them. It was it was pretty incredible because we got to where we were going to hunt and put out our spread, and the the pond that was there's another club that's I would say like half a mile from us. And they were stacked on there, like, I don't even know, umpteen thousand. And it was incredible. You couldn't even hear anybody talking around you unless you were a couple feet away just because there were so many birds that were hanging out there. And we got out there at, like, I think, I want to say, like, midnight, 1 o'clock, and just set up all night. It took us about five hours to put them out and hunted. And I think we shot eight that day, maybe, which, you know, is okay. Like, it's a pretty good day. But, uh, it's, it's, it's funny cause like you said, it is high risk, high reward. So if guys go out and they didn't really like shoot anything, say one day, they're just like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I remember calling my buddy, his name is Dane. And, uh, I give him crap for this all the time. Cause I was like, I called him up like we go with us tomorrow's supposed to be good weather, sunny, windy. Like, you should come. He's like, no, I'm not going. And I'm like, you sure? He's like, no, I'm not going. So it's just I and my buddy packed up, went out there, and I think we shot, I want to say we think we shot 12 birds that day, which, hey, I mean, 12 birds is an awesome day in my book. And uh, I gave him crap about it, and I was like, we could have shot more if you were out there, but you just didn't decide to come, you know. Oh, yeah. And that's why. I think, I think, I think again, you know, 12 birds is a great day, and I think uh, – we go back to the, to the ideal of what, what waterfowling is and 12 birds for, for a team of people to get together and enjoy it. That's great. You know, um, you don't need to have a hundred bird days to have a good hunt. So, Oh, oh absolutely. And that, and that's when Jeremy decides to pitch in and is like, well, you could call me right, Jeremy. Look, I, I would say that, but this year I was actually, I was up in your neck of the woods, Travis, when all the birds went through our state. Was, what are we doing up here? Uh, I have I have family up in Washington. Oh, nice, hey, nice. Went out there and was oh we were we were doing some work for them. But, okay, you didn't get any hunting in while while you were up here? Uh, no, I didn't. We, we were there and it, it was March. Oh, okay. But because uh, yeah. most of the snow goose hunting that happens around here is in the spring, and it was we were up there okay. la- last week in March. Actually, the only thing that I really was super annoyed about was I loved a turkey hunt and uh, we missed 
we missed uh, Washington's opening turkey season by like three weeks, and I was really trying to pressure my dad into going a few weeks later. <laughs> oh man, I don't, I don't even, I don't even get into that turkey hunting stuff. Oh anymore. well, I won't start new addictions for people, but <laughs> I, I understand I everybody it. has their thing. Yeah, I just stick to, I like to stick to the things that fly in, you know. But it's, yeah, it's cool, man. It's too bad you missed the season. Uh, if you're up here during waterfall season, make sure to hit me up. Well, don't say stuff like that because I think uh, me and Hunter will drive out there this year. You don't even, yeah, you don't even <laughs> understand. <laughs> we have we have guys that come up every year, you know. Uh, uh, Nick Robin comes up, and and my buddy Paul Healy that that owns a uh, dog outfitter. Paul comes up every year and hunts with me, and you know Paul's become family. Nick's become family. You know, those guys are here every year. And, well, Nick skipped out this year, and he really regretted it after we sent him photos, you know. So, I just make sure, I make sure whoever's coming has their gator waiters on so I can take their picture. Otherwise, they can't come. Yeah, so tell me about, uh, uh, tell me about gator waiters. So, I, I have been looking at their shield waiters for a while, the new brown ones that came out, and I've, I've been trying to come up with excuses why my wife should let me buy them. There's, there's no excuse needed. You just do what you want and ask for forgiveness later. Um, <laughs> and tell her, tell her she doesn't like you get bent. Now, if you want more marriage advice, go ahead. Ask mm-hmm. me on a daily basis. I'll give myself a number. You can text me and let me know how it goes for you. <laughs> I mean, I will say this. My wife. I'm kidding. Don't. If she heals that, I'm kidding. I'm, don't hit me. It's a total joke. You, he'll do what you tell him to do. Okay, moving on. Go ahead. Well, my the reason I say this is because my wife actually is calling me right now. So apparently she heard that. Um, well, the, the problem is, is that, uh, she's, uh, she's in Haiti right now and she's actually, um, so my wife's a nurse and she likes, you know, serving people and, you know, through our church and stuff like that. And so she's, uh, she went to Haiti because of all the, the earthquake and stuff. So they got a free clinic out there that you basically pay your way and then you also take you try to take stuff that like pharmacy stuff to up there that way you can give free medical care to to i mean to anybody really and so they could see up to almost a thousand people a day um going through that clinic and there's people like lined up for miles trying to get into that clinic so she's uh she just got up there today and i i think they were it was funny. She sent me this video of her counting pills and stuff. And I was like, oh, drug dealing now, huh? Because they're getting the <laughs> pharm- pharmacy ready for the next day. That's awesome. But, uh, well, but yeah. I, her, the world needs more people like her, so that's great. Well, she's she's the old lovely ball and chain. She, I'm just kidding. She's a sweetheart. But <laughs> if I do buy the <laughs> shield waiters, um, if I do buy the shield waiters, oh, man, I... I've been looking at them, and maybe I'll have to just randomly pull the trigger at some point. They're all, I mean, Gatorwaders make makes an awesome product, and and to boot, it's they're backed by great people. You know, uh, the owner is a good person. Uh, you know, the, the people behind the scenes, Dave and Kayla, and and their whole team are just they're good people. You know, and and I like working with good people. So, um, for me, it's not. It's not like I said. I got a full time job, so it's not necessarily about the money. It, it's it's about the relationships and it's about the people behind the scenes. 
you know, pulling the strings. So, um, that team is full of good people and they make a great product and I stand by it. You know, the shield waiters have been awesome. Um, I, I wear the waiters, my kids wear their waiters, you know, um, some of my closest hunting buddies, you know, we just did a, we did a hunt down in Idaho this last weekend for the youth opener. And, uh, you know, I, I think you'll see some pictures coming out very soon with, and everybody there is wearing gator waiters. So that should tell you something, you know? Oh, so, absolutely. No, I, and, and I think the brown waiters, I, I know, I know we talked, Dave and I talked about it last year a little bit, or actually he filled me in. The brown waiters, as far as, I mean, like any product, you're going to have some warranty issues. You know what I mean? You're going to have those one-offs that don't, that don't make the cut. Um, those, those brown waiters were made uh, by a different manufacturer or some, something. Don't quote me on that, but something was different about them. And the warranty rate was very, very, very low. I want to say less than 1%. Um, and, and, and that, that speaks volumes as well, you know. I've got a pair of the brown waders. I don't wear them as often. Uh, my, my son wears them, but uh, um, I have one of them. They are comfortable. I think I wear them in one of the YouTube videos. I think I can't remember, but um, now they've come out with the, the seven and the Omega series. And uh, I've been wearing those and Oh buddy, those, those will blow your mind. Oh, absolutely. I, I've got a pair of their, uh, I want to say like they're blind shoes, not their blind shoes. They're uh, like camp boots. Yeah, camp boots, and I love those. Those are super comfortable, and they're super nice for like early season scouting. Or and the the hard part is I'd go walk, you know, somewhere in the morning or evenings, and you get either water and like mildew, and it soak your shoes and it drive you nuts. But those those camp boots, man, they are they're the bee's knees. They're versatile, and I, I think they sell the crap out of them. They're comfortable too. So once people put them on and under, you know, and, and use them, I think they they speak for themselves. They're a great product. I was gonna ask you: Have you uh, have you ever hunted the Great Salt Lakes? No, no. One of these days, you know, I uh, I did the the I signed up for the Hunt Forty One Alternate Waterfowlers Challenge last year. You know, I've been doing it for the last ten years. I just never have. So last year, I signed up for it. And uh, I'm just going to try and knock birds off that list as they come. But eventually, that's going to mean going to going to the Great Salt Lake and and hopefully or that area and shooting a swan or shooting a ruddy duck, you know. So, oh, absolutely. One of, one of the things I want to do in the future. Come out to Nebraska. I can put you on some ruddy ducks. <laughs> I I want to go down to Nebraska and shoot a really nice blue goose. That's what I want. Actually, yeah. I've got one in my freezer right now that <clears throat> I'm supposed to pick up a spec here in the next couple of months. I'm basically switching it out. Oh, man. I've only shot one in my life. We had a group of snows fly over us, and I just, I literally just in this sea of white, see this blue goose, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm shooting that bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that video on YouTube, they get. They missed it. They didn't put the cut in there, thank God. But I, I whiffed on a blue, oh. and I whiffed hard. Everybody there was, I mean, they, they gave me the, the opportunity to shoot it, and it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the perfect the perfect shot. It was kind of a tough shot. That's what I'm going to say anyway. Not, it's my story. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> but uh, I, I whiffed it hard, and they, you know, they like to remind me constantly, constantly that, that I still don't have a blue goose, and Yada, 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 you know. I just, uh, 
I just sent you a text of a blue goose I shot last year, and following up with that, I mean, you're, I we hunt a permanent spread out of a pit blind. If you just let me know when you're coming, I'm more than happy to have you out. It, it doesn't like the spread doesn't get even get hunted that much. Even like we hunted during the weekends and stuff, but you just let me know when you're coming. I'd be glad to take you out. That's awesome. That's a nice. That's I'm jealous of that bird right there. Look at that. That's a nice picture too. Good job. Oh, thanks. Not as good as you, but <laughs> I just get lucky, man. I spray and pray. The camera does the work, and Lightroom Lightroom takes over. You know? <laughs> oh, oh, we uh we hunt out of pit blinds. They're heated. We make breakfast. Worst case scenario, we tell the snow geese they're gonna get VIP treatment, and they might decide they want it or not. I don't know, <laughs> but <laughs> we have a good time either way. Yeah, that's that's the important part is just having a good time, man. Enjoying the process, you know. Everybody says embrace the grind or embrace the grind, and I I like to enjoy the process. You know, whether it be a grind, whether it be easy peasy, you know, um, I I just like embracing it. And I I I'd like to get out and travel more. Of course, with with uh, doing my own thing here, it's a little tougher. You know, I've been I've been going to Idaho for the last few years and uh, trying to hunt down there as much as I can. You know, we've got great friends with with Jacob Hire who owns a uh, Fall Weather Calls. Um, Jacob's like family. So we, we can visit Jacob. And then this last year I started hunting with, uh, Mike Klein, Mike Klein owns toxic calls and dry foot outfitters. And, and Mike's the same way. Just, you know, in this industry, you meet great people that you get to get, that you, and you're just lucky enough to call friends. If, if, you know, if the opportunity passes and you get invited to a hunt or whatever, and, and we've, we've met great people and made new friends and, and we go down there and, and uh, we just, that's where we did the youth hunt was with Mike Pine down, down at, uh, from toxic calls. We went down to his place and it was just friends, friends and, and all their kids getting together and, and shooting birds. And that to me, that's special. You know, that's what it's about. Oh, absolutely. I actually, I, one of my duck calls that I run probably most regularly is that nothing but duck. Um, I bought it a few years ago and I just, I, whew. I, I like to think that I'm decent with it. I don't know, but other people seem to say that I'm all right, so I'll take it. I'll take it for what it is. Mike Mike knows what he's doing, man. He's he, you know, and when I go hunting with Mike, I don't, even, I don't even break my calls out most of the time. You know, they just stay in the bag. Just, he makes me feel stupid, but uh, yeah, he makes a good product, man. And he and like I said, I, and I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but. Mike's good people, and that's what I care about. You know, just hanging out with those those good people, the right people in the industry. So, you know, Mike, Mike and his family are just like when you go down there, you you feel like you're part of the family. You know what I mean? You feel like like hey, you know, this this is something here. You know, so again, if you if you get an opportunity to, to promote or to help people in the industry that are just good people that have their head on straight and and their vision aligned with yours by all means please do oh absolutely and i think i do kind of run into that once in a while as i get somebody that wants me to promote their stuff it's like well i don't know if your quality and i i mean i don't know as you as a person so it's like uh i don't know and then you get on the other side it's like I've got two or three call makers that I just absolutely enjoy. I've got, I promote Redbeard's custom calls. Andrew does an awesome job. Awesome dude hunting with him. And then I actually have uh, Brent Hoover custom calls out of Western Nebraska. He, uh, he 
he was actually my youth group leader when I was growing up. So phenomenal guy. It's like, oh, man, there's so many good uh, quality guys and so many so many quality call makers. It's like it's hard to it's hard to uh, promote everybody. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think you're doing the right thing. I, I think contrary to popular belief, I, you know, I think people get tied up with this is what I like. This is the best. You know, I'm only going to promote this company. I'm only going to promote this brand. I'm, you know, and to each their own, by all means you do you. Um, but for me, like I said, I'm, I want to promote the people behind the scenes, you know? So I'm not going to promote this one call brand. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to put them on the shirt and say, Hey, here's all the call people I like, or here's all the outfitters. I'm not going to do that. But, I'm going to tell you to sell a good product if they, sell, if they sell a good product. I'm going to tell you they're good people if they're good people. There are a lot of people in this industry that are really doing outstanding things and, and really growing an outstanding brand. And contrary to popular belief, there's room for all of them. You know what I mean? There's a market for everybody um, as far as I'm concerned. I, I think there's a market for, for 30 different call makers or 300 different call makers because everybody prefers something different, you know, not everybody likes a foul weather call or not everybody likes a toxic call or a buck gardener call or a Pacific call. You know, there's, there's something for everybody out there and do your thing, market your way and just be a good person. You know, that's all I care about. Oh, absolutely. Um, jumping kind of back. If, Jeremy and I were ever to come out your direction, what uh, what time frame would be best best used, or uh, should we say the worst um, for anybody else listening? Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it, everybody you know, it's, everybody asks that. Everybody that books a hunt and says, "What's the best time?" I mean, every year is different. You know, you don't really know. Um, opening weekend is usually pretty good, and then you know it you might have years where November slows down a little bit and then the cold weather hits in December and January are awesome, you know, but you might have years where for some reason, you know, the local birds stick around and they're not too sticky and you can hunt good through November. And then, and then the weather never hits. And once those birds get scaled, December and January stink. So it, it really just depends on the year. There's no, there's no perfect answer for that. I say, Statistically, I probably have my better months in December and January, but last year would have blown that statement out of the water because November we we killed it, you know? So it really just depends. Hmm. I'll have to keep that in mind because we have this, like, I, I have this break between early duck season and the mid-duck season. I think Jeremy and I talked about traveling some more into Kansas and that kind of stuff, but... We have this time frame between like late November through early December. So like all of most of the ducks have migrated through and you know, there's packs of mallards and stuff, but like you have this like slow time between late December when our Canada geese show up. And so like, that's usually either when I go to South Dakota, the pheasant or do something else. So I'll have to keep right, that in right. mind. Cause I, I have been looking for, we, we talked about maybe going to, uh, like Lake Michigan or Superior or somewhere up there in the Great Lakes and doing some diving. That'd be hunt. fun though. Go do some, yeah, go do some layout hunts. That'd be awesome. So that's, that's something I'd like to do too. It's, you know, it's here. It's weird. I, and I run a weird outfit. Um, I, like I said, I have a full-time job, so I really feel bad. Uh, if I 
if I book a hunt with people and then they get here and say, say they want to goose hunt, um, and the field that, that, uh, Andrew has put together for him isn't holding birds, you know, um, that, that irks me. So, um, I have an on-call list, so people will get on the on-call list and they'll tell me, Hey, most times I can be good to go within two to three days. So if you let me know that you got a field, I'll set the time aside to show up. So when I have downtime and I find, you know, if I'm on the book and Andrew finds us a field that has, that has a good feed on it, I'll start going to that call list and, and, and booking hunts that way, you know? And, and I think people like that because, you know, they, they, you, you, you the hunt's still never guaranteed, but you're guaranteeing that that field's been getting hit on a regular basis for the past three days. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're, you're really stacking the odds in your favor at that point. So I think people enjoy that. So, um, most of the time, my December and January is when people are really, really hitting me up. Um, early season, you know, here, October, November, you're still, you're still in a big game season. So, um, people don't hit me up as hard in October and, and November. So that's usually your best bet to guarantee that I'm going to have time to, to, hang out you know gotcha no i think if we would probably do it my guess just my guess we'd probably come out for a week uh probably run around on some public land and say hey you know saturday sunday guide us i don't really care what we do we just want to meet you and go have a good time and hunt and that's probably what we'd end up doing if we were going to do it but we could talk we could talk about that sometime later um we're getting here to kind of the end of the podcast i usually like to ask the a final question before we get going here. Um, if you had to pick out one hunt, one hunt, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, what would you want to do? You would you would say that to me, wouldn't you? Oh man, so many to pick from. So if I because it's a trophy, um, if I'm gonna pick one hunt to do, I'm gonna take myself, my boys. And a couple of my closest friends being, you know, Andrew or, or a couple other guys. And we're going to go to Alaska and we're going to do a King Eider hunt. And hopefully, you know, you know, if all the, all the stars align, you can do some goose hunting up there too, you know? Oh, absolutely. Some emperor goose hunting, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, for sure. Who knows? I've been, I keep hearing rumors that they're going to get rid of that again. So... Well, it's not it's not on the forty one list. I'm not looking for that, but it'd be special to do, you know. But yeah, you got some divers up there, some Harleys, and or and not divers, but some kings that that I just know would be amazing to be on. But it's gonna be cold and miserable, so they gotta be able to withstand that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well. We, uh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day and willing to sit down and talk to us a little bit more about Oregon hunting. Um, we, uh, you're obviously more than welcome to come to Nebraska whenever. Just let us know when you want to come out here. Well, I appreciate that, guys. And thanks for having me on. And keep doing what you're doing, man. Keep, keep promoting those good people and standing behind them and, and just chase this, this dream we call waterfowling. Oh, absolutely. Before we get off here, go ahead and shout all your social media so people can find you. Oh, um, let's see here. I have Deeks underscore waterfowl on Instagram. Um, I don't even know what my personal one's called. 
I mean, I have one. I use it regularly, but I don't even know what the name is. Let me look real quick. Um, my personal one is Travis M underscore 83. Uh, you can follow Deets Waterfall on Facebook as well. And then my, I started a TikTok because that's the cool thing to do these days. Um, <laughs> even though I look at food a lot because I'm fat. Um, it's Travis M one, two, nine, six. Well, perfect. So, Thanks again for, uh, uh, getting on here with us. Um, anybody listening, make sure to, uh, you know, you you want to get on his Instagram because I'm sure he has some quality content coming out this year. I already saw your picture for uh, with Gator Waiters and like I, it was it was awesome to see. Let's just say let's leave it that and people can check it out. So I appreciate that very much. Um, there's there's more coming out. Um, uh, follow up on our calls if you if you don't already. Uh, they've got a con- exclusive content that nobody else gets to see. When they release it, you'll see it. Um, you know, Mike from Toxic Calls will release some stuff, and Gator Waiters always Gator Waiters always gets first pick. You know, I throw everything their way, and they can do what they want with it. So um, you'll see stuff from all those guys, and the stuff I repost in my story is always a picture that we produce somewhere along the lines that somebody else is using for something. So, well, sounds good, man. I uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll we'll catch you. You always have an open seat here. Just let me know when you shoot. Want to shoot a blue goose, and we'll uh, hopefully talk to you. <laughs> hopefully talk to you soon. All right. All right, guys. You have a good night. And God you. bless. Yeah. God bless. See you. That was that was awesome. I I really enjoyed talking to Travis. I to get his insight on Oregon hunting. I I just want duck season to get here. I appreciate how humble he is. Yeah, absolutely. Like he literally, like that's the kind of dude that I would sit in a blind with any any day. Oh yeah, could any no question. I love how he gets his kids involved. I didn't realize he started the whole thing for his kids in the future. That's that's awesome. Absolutely. Like uh, not many people do that anymore. No. And making an emphasis to get your kids involved, I think, is so important, especially when you know. People say that the sport is dying, and I literally was like blown away when he was like, "My kids would rather go hunting or play sports than play video games." You don't hear that anymore. No, not that really. Awesome. So yeah, I think uh, I think that kind of finishes up. Do you have anything before we go? Don't don't hunt Oregon or Washington. There's no birds <laughs> there to shoot. Me and Hunter are gonna go up and visit Travis, but there's nothing there. Uh, we're just going there to visit and drink. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and then, I don't know, riot, I guess, apparently. That's the cool thing to do in Oregon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do it. I had to do it. All right, guys. Well, appreciate you guys listening to this. Thanks again. And uh, hope you have a great week. I think this one's going to drop. I think this is the. this will be the Wednesday before duck season, so... We're getting so close. Hopefully there's some... I haven't really looked, but there hasn't been... I haven't seen any birds around yet. Except, except... Uh, next to church, there was, it was in Omaha. There was a canal there, and I saw... It was a widgeon get out of the, the canal, so that got me all excited. I'm super... Not to start a whole conversation again, but I'm really disappointed in the lack of water that the state has pumped because we got a massive cold front coming in on Thursday. And it's supposed to last for like four or five days. 
that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I I would really love to get somebody on the state on from the state. I know that that's a far-fetched idea, and I don't really want to roast anyone on it, but I'd like to understand a little more. Like, why are we having such difficulties getting water fully pumped? I know that it was a drought year, but, like, this has become a... Other than... I mean, and I feel like I forgot about it because of how wet those couple years were there for a little bit. But this is kind of... I've noticed that it's kind of been an issue for actually really the better part of a decade, I feel like. I, it is, it's on the to-do list and I have been starting to try to figure out who the manager is in that region. So I'm not really going to get too far into it, but we've got it. We've got a couple ideas. You want to subscribe and follow the podcast because we we keep, well, I'm not, I'm not there to roast them. It's to ask them the right questions to figure out as to what their reasoning is or what their, what their vision is or like why they do what they do and roast isn't the only reason i say roast is because i feel like we talk a lot of crap and the reality is i mean in ways we are but like i understand that there's reasons that it's going the way that it is i just would like to know what it is that holds people holds them back or keeps them from getting everything fully prepared is it a lack of workers is it um funding for water i just i just want to know yeah i just my it's it's a curiosity thing because past that i'd also love to know why like anybody who hunts the basin knows that there's about across the whole basin there's probably 60 or 70 federal marshes that virtually sit there yeah no one really does anything a couple of them get filled in the spring to ease the snow goose migration but I th- like we said, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, well, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this, guys. Uh, another episode of the Bigger and Hunters podcast. Uh, make sure to check out all our sponsors. Um, you don't, you know, you don't want to miss out on those guys. There's so many quality companies with quality guys behind them that there's a reason why we deal with who we deal with. So make sure to. Uh, Check them out, or if you're needing, you know, taxidermy or whatnot, get all the right people. It's the start of the podcast. So, all right. Thanks again. And uh, God bless. Talk to you later.